Welcome to the Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook, or email us info at businesschef.org. Thank you for joining us today on the Business Chef Podcast. My name is Chef Sean Boucher. I'm your host, and we have an incredible show for you today. Chef Katie is here. Chef Katie is someone that I used to work with uh, years ago teaching culinary school. She's done a lot of really cool stuff in the meantime since we've worked together. And so she's going to be talking to us today about a lot of the things that she's got going on currently, but her journey where she came from. So without further ado, the one, the only, the amazing, the incredible Chef Katie. Thank you. What an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I like this program already. Chef, let's talk a little bit about your background and what brought you to this point, because you don't necessarily have a traditional background or, or a, uh, a common way of getting into this business. So tell us about how you got into it. Okay. So for me, it's definitely been a journey. Um, I would say a very unexpected journey. You know, a lot of folks know what they want to do right away. They go in there, you know, they start off as a dishwasher or a prep cook. And I definitely did not plan on working in the restaurant industry. Um, I planned on being a teacher. I went to school, got a couple of degrees, you know, undergraduate. Um, I had a psychology degree. I had an English degree. I had teaching degrees. And I thought, you know, I'll just get it done. I'll become a teacher. But the problem is I really loved to snowboard. And it's hard to work a nine-to-five job um, in a ski town and not be snowboarding every day. So I tired of the real normal nine-to-five gig pretty fast. And the first solution that popped into my head was a restaurant job because it was at night. I could snowboard every day. Um, it seemed to pay okay along with your tips, and, of course, it fed you. So, really, the restaurant world only kind of happened to me because of a pure love for snowboarding and um, kind of rejecting the idea of growing up and getting a 9-to-5 job. So, where did you actually grow up, uh, and, and where did you get your unique tastes or uh, where did you learn to love the food that you, you cook nowadays? What's your, what's your background there? So I grew up in Minnesota. Um, I had an incredible family where, you know, my mom would cook every meal. We rarely went out to dinner. Um, if we did, it was a special, you know, you went to Pizza Hut after a soccer game or you got a blizzard if you scored a goal. So it's funny, I never really ate anything um, exotic. I never knew fine dining. Um, so my background was Midwestern Minnesota food um, to begin with. Okay, so now we have this Midwestern girl who loves her family, has a great Midwest upbringing with the comfort food and all that, who loves snowboarding, and snowboarding then takes you where? So luckily for snowboarding, uh, it took me from the mountains in Montana, where I had my undergraduate degree, and that's where I went to college, in Missoula, Montana, the most incredible place ever. But after that, I decided to move to California, because I kept hearing all these rumors about how incredible snowboarding was in Tahoe, and how everyone was, you know, doing the big competitions out of Mammoth and Squaw. 
And so after snowboarding and going to college in Missoula, I then ended up in Tahoe. And the first restaurant I ended up at was a little Italian uh, family-owned, family-run restaurant called Fiamma. So at what point do you say, okay, uh, I love teaching, love snowboarding, but I really think that the restaurant has more of a future for me. I think that that is kind of where I need to end up. At what point does it click and you go, aha, this is it? It's funny because I think being a competitive person in general, you know, competing in snowboarding, uh, I always kind of wanted to do well in school. And I think working in a kitchen I wouldn't say it's necessarily uh, competitive in one way, but in another way, if you're a woman and you're kind of this, uh, you know, there's a lot, not a lot of women in the kitchen. And I think a lot of time women are usually the dessert chefs or the pastry chefs. And so when I was in the kitchen, I just kind of felt this, like this energy and this kind of eagerness to do really well and to kind of keep moving up the ladder. So I think instantly when I started cooking, um, it just felt very competitive and, I just feel like I had something to prove from the beginning. I just wanted to get really good. Um, if this was what I was going to do, um, then I was going to be really good at it. And I'm assuming that all happened there in Tahoe, right? And that all happened in Tahoe. You know, eventually it, it, it happened initially at Tiama. It was this beautiful little, you know, wood-fired um, oven, and we did pizzas. And, you know, after making, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400 pizzas, you start thinking, okay, yeah, now I'm sick of making pizzas. Now, what else is there out there? You know, what else can I do? Um, what else can I prove? And so from Fiamma, I went and got a job at Plump Jack, which is a real high-end um, California cuisine restaurant that was up at Squaw Valley. And that's when kind of the fireworks went off with fine dining and exotic ingredients and kind of knowing really what I wanted to do. You know, working in a kitchen is hard. It's demanding, high-stress environment. It's something that requires a lot of you physically, mentally, even emotionally at times. And and I can only imagine what it's like as a woman also because you are kind of a minority in the kitchen, especially when you're surrounded by really what are egotistical A-type male personalities. Yeah, you definitely hit the nail on the head. Um, egotistical males. It's crazy how, you know, I grew up with an older brother, so I was pretty used to um, being picked on. But the kitchen, it, yeah, it, it's interesting. So Fiamma, you know, it's kind of this, there's all kinds of guys, um, but they were more like your buddies. You know, everyone kind of picked on each other, and but it was a real kind of nurturing, fun environment. Now, as I moved up to a higher-end um, cuisine at Plum Jack, I definitely noticed um, a little more ego. You know, everyone is kind of trying to prove a little bit of something because of it being fine dining, and everyone wants to move up the ladder. And I think, you know, as I moved up the ladder, it's hard to, I think some of the hardest things were, you know, we'd make a menu change, and it would be, I would have input on the menu at that point, and you'd be trying to tell a line cook, a male line cook, you know, hey, you need to, you know, finish this dish, you know, with this sauce, um, and you need to use a little bit more. And when you're telling someone how to do their job, um, especially from a female perspective to a male who's probably cooked there for, you know, 10 more years than you have, um, it didn't go over well a lot of times. And that's kind of where I reached a breaking point where, you know what, unless I'm the executive chef of this restaurant, which I wasn't ready to be that role yet, um, then I needed to find a different avenue, um, more education, and to just get better at my role so that 
when you tell someone the way it needs to be done, you're not only respected, but it's just a yes chef and they go on their way. So when you realized it was time to transition and you needed something new, tell me about that transition. What did that entail? So for me, being in a ski resort town, you know, a lot of people are there to cook, to get a ski pass, and that's it. Um, you got to know that people were doing it out of passion. You know, we, when we were working in San Francisco or New York where, you know, you're cooking at a, a job because that's what you do. So a lot of times, you know, being a chef was second, kind of second priority. Being a skier or, you know, being a, a party animal, that was your first priority, and that was never my priority. So my first transition was, to kind of restart or start over, I decided to go to this professional program, uh, culinary school up in Canada, so that not only would I, I knew exactly what I was doing, but um, I knew I was doing it right. And so I kind of decided to start over in order to become really good at what I knew I probably would do the rest of my life. And so I transitioned from, you know, Ski Town, incredible restaurant, to uh, starting a professional um, program up in Canada, up in Vancouver. Um, to start, kind of go back to school and relearn everything from the beginning because I never went to culinary school. You know, I went to a college, and so I actually needed to learn, you know, why why an emulsion takes place, you know, why you turn, um, you know, an egg into um, hollandaise into. So it's interesting how I knew how to do those things, but I didn't kind of know the hows and of that, you know, process. And so that's when I decided to go to culinary school. Ah, good old culinary school. So tell me about that. How did that work? I mean, you probably went through a range of emotions and probably had a lot of eye-opening experiences there. Yeah, it's interesting going back to school in a way, you know, like the non-traditional students, um, which is even funnier since both you and I have taught. And so we know those non-trad students, you know, they seem to know a little bit already. Uh, Sometimes they're a little more difficult, but they're also... Uh, pretty much head down to the nose down to the grindstone, and that's the way I was. You know, I definitely thought I knew a few things going to culinary school, and I learned pretty quick that um, if you're going to be a, a good student and if you really want to be a great chef, you keep your mouth shut and you just learn. So for me, it was interesting. You know, I went up there thinking I want to learn how to make foams and airs and spiritification and all the crazy modernist cuisine. When really, I just needed to learn how to make mayonnaise correctly. So I definitely got knocked down a block or two, which was good for me. Um, and, I, you know, that kind of just made me keep my mouth shut and listen. And I think I got an incredible education because of kind of learning to take a step back and just appreciate the opportunity of being able to go to culinary school. You know, I'm really curious to know, um, you know, school in general, but maybe even more culinary school is kind of thought of as a safe environment or an environment that's a little different than the real world. So what was it like to be uh, a woman chef in culinary school? Was it any different? <laughs> yeah, you bring up some, some great memories from culinary school. I, it's funny, you, you forget about these things, but I was just so, you know, when I reminisce about culinary school, it's, you know, I'd say like golden years. It was incredible. I mean, living in Vancouver and um, I'm learning about foods, you know, I'm having dim sum for the first time. I'm having shawarma for the first time, um, donor. I mean, I had never had hardly anything um, of, like, the international cuisine. And so here my cuisine, um, my palate's changing. But then on the flip side, you know, you're working with partners from different walks of life, uh, different ethnical uh, backgrounds. 
and I definitely worked with a few students, males especially, and we had some major issues. I mean, now that I think about it, you know, it was kind of things that, you know, you would be held after class and you'd have to sit down with the chefs and talk about how, you know, your partner, you know, number one, doesn't want to work with you because you're a woman, and number two, doesn't think that you should even have an opinion about food because of, actually because of their culture and where they come from. And, you know, we definitely had a couple of students I butted heads with pretty pretty hardcore. And, you know, it was those things where you kind of didn't want to go to school on certain days because you, know, you might be paired up with them. So um, it just, you know, it teaches you to work with people and it teaches you to pass the time and just stay focused on what's important. And that was getting my education. But it also teaches you that you're going to have to deal with people from all walks of life, no matter if you're, you know, at work, if you're in school or just everyday life. Yeah, I hear you. I'll tell you, if there's one thing I've learned about all the years working in the kitchen is that uh, no two days are the same and no two people are the same. We all come from very different backgrounds and that definitely affects who we are as as people and how we interact. So from Vancouver, where'd you go? So after Vancouver, um, it was really, this is where things kind of, um, you know, you think about those major life decisions. And after Vancouver, you know, I had the culinary education. I had the two degrees. Um, so you kind of, you kind of see the world differently when, you know, now you know about food and you know about what's out in the world. So I went back to the ski town, um, back to Squaw and back to Plum Jack. You know, it was great at first. You get to see all the people you missed, but then you realize that you've kind of outgrown that world. And the funny thing is that my new job didn't come because I was searching for it. Um, my new, my new job came about because my mom decided that, you know, it was time for me to grow up a little bit and get a real job. Um, which was working in a restaurant, and she saw a job posting for a culinary instructor in Salt Lake City. And so she said, I really think you should go for this. Um, you know, you, you went to school to be a teacher. You now, you know, have gone to culinary school. You've worked in restaurants. I really think you could have an impact. And so as much as I, I didn't want to leave um, California, and I thought Utah was a little bit awkward and, and different, I uh, didn't know too much about Utah. Besides, they did still have great skiing. And so I flew out to Salt Lake and I interviewed at the Art Institute of Salt Lake City as, as a culinary instructor. You know, having spent many years in California myself, I have a great love for it. And I can definitely, definitely identify with the challenge that it is culturally going from a place like California to Utah. So how was that transition for you? You know, <laughs> Salt Lake was a tough one for me. I remember driving to Salt Lake and, I mean, skate adding to the stereotypes of women, but when I drove here, I cried. I swear, half the drive, it's just, it's so hard leaving an environment, especially the restaurant world, as we all know. I mean, the restaurant world is your family, um, so it was like moving away from my family, but once I got settled in Salt Lake City, um, especially because I came during winter, so I had a ski pass, um, you know, it real, you realize that, yeah, I think it's really interesting being a culinary instructor, coming right out of the world of restaurants. You're working, you know, your 50, 60-hour weeks. Uh, you're working holidays, you're working weekends, you miss everything. And then you take a job as a culinary instructor and your school is closed on holidays. And unless you really want to, you don't have to work nights, you don't have to work weekends. Um, and so it gives you this freedom to kind of have a life again and have an incredible schedule. And, you know, working hard really paid off because all of a sudden I was getting paid, you know, almost three times what I was making um, in the restaurant. So for me, like my way of living and everything just kind of improved. Uh, having money in the bank wasn't as stressful anymore. 
Um, having the freedom to go be social on the weekends was kind of exciting and different. Um, but it also allowed me to all of a sudden think of what I want to do next. You know, all of a sudden you have this free time. And I decided that, you know, teaching culinary school was great, but I also wanted to start a business so that I could start having a creative outlet for some of those ideas I still had in my head. And so at that point, I was able to create my business, SLC Pop. So talk about SLC Pop for a second. What is it? How was it born? What opportunities has it provided you? I I know it's definitely provided a few life-changing ones, but talk about that for a minute. So I created SLC Pop out of the need to kind of re-enter that restaurant world, but kind of on my terms. So I knew pop-ups were kind of happening all over the country. You know, I was always reading articles online, um, you know, searching the web for kind of new food trends. It's just kind of, like I said, that competitive nature of staying up on what's going on in the world. And so I thought, well, if I start a pop-up restaurant business, then I can do the pop-ups on the weekends. Um, I can do them once a month. I can do them every weekend. I can really do whatever I want. It's um, my business, and the pop-up concept is really flexible. And so I started doing the pop-ups, um, which were way more work than you can ever imagine. I don't know why people would ever do a pop-up, um, and I still do them, and I still question why I do them. Um, I mean, you got to cover everything. It's like you're walking into an empty room, and you're putting on a dinner party for 12. Um, sometimes you need to bring chairs. Sometimes you need to bring napkins. Um, sometimes it's crazy the things that you forget about that what you need. So the pop-up challenge was really good for me. And from the pop-up, it's funny how like nothing really was a challenge um, after that. I mean, if it was a challenge, you know, you've kind of already seen, um, you know, that challenge in a different way throughout doing the pop-ups. It's like you see so many scenarios that it's uh, it's kind of a cool way of um, running a business. So from the pop-up, I wanted to do another project. Um, so after SLC Pop, I actually created um, a brick-and-mortar project called the Not a Gallery because I love the pop-ups, but I really wanted a space to keep all my stuff because that's the one thing with the pop-ups is you're kind of like uh, you're living out of your car in a way. You have your dishes, you have your food, you have your equipment. And so I wanted to store that stuff at a place. And so then I found this art gallery, and I decided to transform it into um, kind of this mock restaurant to do the pop-ups. And we started that project. And from that project, it even launched bigger things. I think one of the coolest things about this whole story is you've you've been through these challenges, you've had these ups and downs, um, and then you start doing the pop-ups, you kind of gain some traction, you kind of figure out your voice, and then all of a sudden you do not a gallery, and the next thing you know, uh, it leads to great opportunities, huge opportunities. It led you to Top Chef. Yeah, so... I would have never thought, you know, doing the pop-up business and then doing the Nada Gallery would have led to Top Chef. It's kind of funny how it definitely hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, it was um, a phone call out of the blue. I was leaving the ski resort. I mean, it's funny how I, I remember this moment, and I guess you remember big things in your life um, like that. You know, I was leaving the ski resort. I got a phone call. It said, hey, we found out about you. Um, we see you're doing incredible things, you know, as a female chef doing modernist cuisine in Salt Lake City. and we would love for you to be on Top Chef. And I remember thinking, you know, that it was a, a prank call, number one. And then uh, seeing that the number, I think, was from, like, L.A. or New York, you know, I was like, okay, this could be happening. And and uh, I said, okay, yeah, let's set up the time. You know, I'm free, you know, next week. And I remember we set up a Skype interview and some other stuff, and, and then it just happened. Um, it's a waiting game. Um, and then when I found out I actually had made the show, 
Um, I, I definitely, I, I think even now, I mean, gosh, what, like four years later, it hasn't sunk in. I mean, we used to watch Top Chef and tape Top Chef at Plum Jack. Um, my old boyfriend and I, you know, he'd work at, he's a server. I worked in the kitchen, which is kind of a funny juxtaposition. Um, you know, and we'd tape Top Chef on Wednesdays. And when we had a night off, we'd go home and watch it. And, I mean, Top Chef was one of those things where it was so cool to watch. And, you know, you always voted for your favorites. And all of a sudden, someone's calling me. Um, in Salt Lake City, out of all places, you know, you would think you'd get noticed in California or Chicago or New York. But here, someone's calling me because of what they saw I was doing. Um, and, yeah, it just it blows me away still that I had to move to Salt Lake City in Utah to get noticed to go on such an incredible experience. Isn't that funny how, you know, it takes, it takes a little while, but after you go through the ups and downs in your career and you learn who you are and you find your voice, um, the accolades, the opportunities, all those things tend to follow you once, once that happens, once you figure out who you are, what you want to be, opportunities come to you regardless of, of where you're at or, or what your current situation is. When you're ready, they come. So it's funny how, too, once again, you know, you go on this show and you kind of, for me, I think that kind of obviously is the peak of my career. I mean, you know, who knows, maybe in 10 years something will happen again. But I really feel like for me, um, you know, just for what I've done and what, where I want to be in life, um, that was a pretty incredible experience. So I've kind of taken a step back and realized that, you know, I've been able to do so many great opportunities, as you mentioned, you know, guest speaking in different states and great dinners with other great chefs around the um, country as well. And um, now being in Salt Lake, I wanted to start something that people are able to come to. They don't have to buy a ticket. They don't have to, you know, try to get first dibs and get in line. Something where it's, you know, a pretty typical restaurant. Um, we have a coffee shop um, that we've been hosting our pop-ups at, you know, which are ticketed events. It's a little expensive. Um, totally worth it, but, you know, it, it just a different range of folks are able to come to the pop-ups. And so at the same coffee shop that, you know, is open during the day and closed at night, um, we're going to do a project called the Red Moose After Dark. It's taking advantage of a business's off hours and still bringing in another business, which is SLT Pop, to come do dinner. So instead of doing super fancy high-end food, I just wanted to do great food where people can come in. Like I said, they come in from 5.30 to 9 p.m., we do it on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, and you can come in and you can get a bowl of ramen. You can get, um, you know, our incredible chicken curry. Uh, we're doing funny things like um, chicharrones, pork rinds, which I think are incredible. So I'm doing food that's simple, but also things that I crave. Um, and I think it's neat that anyone and everyone can come into the coffee shop and, you know, for two bucks, get chicharrones or, you know, for 10 bucks, get a bowl of ramen. So it's affordable food. It's food that I've, you know, rethought of and created in the way, you know, Chef Katie makes things a little bit wacky, but um, it's still approachable. And I think that this Red Moose After Dark is something I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, it's almost like having a food truck, but it's just that simple menu of seven or eight items, but you can come inside of um, the Red Moose, sit down and enjoy good food. You know, it's funny with your current opportunities and projects, what you're doing, um, how it's kind of taking you full circle where you've gone zero to 60 for last few years where you've, you've really had to be speaking and jumping on airplanes and running all around and really being on top of your game. And then 
you come back and you take a second to kind of contemplate and say, man, where do I want to be and what do I want to do? And it's funny how a lot of people come back to their roots. So they come back to these basics that they, that they want to come down to where they can kind of slow down and really do things that they love really well. Oh, exactly. I mean, I can't describe you how nice it is to not be on some crazy schedule where, you know, you're going one place, you know, on Tuesday, and then all of a sudden you're doing a dinner for, you know, 40 people on Friday, and, like, the amount of prep, and just, like, you're kind of just bouncing around. And, yes, the, the opportunities are incredible, but for me, for now, to sit down and think of, okay, what are seven items that I can, you know, prep in a day that people are going to love and just come in and, you know, like I said, it's as simple as a bowl of curry. I mean, I've been making curry at the pop-ups for, gosh, seven years, and I think about how few people have had, you know, the curry I make, and I think it's incredible. So I think it's kind of neat how my focus now is how can I make the best possible bowl of curry for three nights a week, and that comparative to the way you think on these other crazy projects. You know, how can I come up with a, a 12-course tasting menu that is going to involve over, you know, 200 ingredients. I mean, it is so interesting how you go from that one mindset to the mindset of, you know, perfecting a bowl of curry. I think that happens to most people that you ramp up, ramp up and run like crazy. And then all of a sudden you just go, man, I just want to do one or two things really, really well. It's true. And, you know, it's funny how, you know, everyone thinks that being on a TV show like Top Chef and, oh, your life will change and, you know, you'll never be the same. And, yeah, it's definitely the first, but you also have to understand, man, the pressure, and, and maybe it's just me. I mean, already being a female chef and wanting to be great at what I do, and, you know, none of us take criticism really well, especially chefs, um, and that's an understatement. But imagine being on a show where, you know, you're voted as one of the top chefs in the country, um, and then you come back and... You know, even now when I'm, you know, prepping for this weekend's dinners, I think to myself, oh, my gosh, somebody's going to come in and they're going to have this bowl of curry and they're going to be like, meh, I could have made it better. And, I mean, that would crush me still today. So it's funny how you have these opportunities and you think that, you know, from here on out you're safe, right, like that. You could do anything and, you know, but, oh, believe me, you get judged every day. And it's hard when, I mean, I care so much about, like, what I do and, and when I make food and I never want to make anything that someone won't love. And yeah, that pressure of performing all the time, it's definitely pretty stressful. So yeah, going back to the basics and just trying to make really good food, um, there's still always that pressure there. But like I said, it's kind of nice to focus on things that you already love. And, you know, as long as you're happy with them, that's one thing. But yeah, you're always being judged, especially when you go and do something like Top Chef and then you come back and... Um, you know, you, there's always critics and you know that as well. Do I ever? Well, that's, you know, it comes with the territory. Anybody who wants to do something great or who puts themselves out there is going to open themselves up to criticism and critique and that's fine. Uh, it just kind of comes with the territory, but for you, obviously you've had a great career thus far and you've got a long world ahead of you, but what would be some parting guidance that you have for maybe the up-and-coming generation of culinarians? Whew, advice for the generations to come. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was always um, kind of put your head down and, and educate yourself. I can't tell you how important um, education is, especially. And you might be saying, oh, like I can really afford, you know, culinary school. It's so expensive. And I'm not talking about culinary school. I'm talking about, you know, getting on um, – 
getting on the internet, looking at food trends and reading articles and looking at um, people's blogs and reading about how to make, you know, foie cotton candy and, you know, just things that you're interested in, immerse yourself, you know, go to the library, look at every book possible, you know, just start building this catalog of ideas in your head so that when you are working at a restaurant and I'd say work everywhere, um, including, you know, the basic, uh, you know, um, the basic burger shops or even, you know, people just doing stuff well, but maybe doing um, just one concept versus the four-star restaurants, but also work there. I mean, the point is to work as many places as possible. Um, and when you have that nugget of kind of what you can offer because you read about it somewhere or, you know, you might have a tip on how to do something better, all of a sudden that chef will turn to you and say, oh, how'd you know that? <laughs> they might actually tell you uh that your opinion is not necessary, but on the flip side, if you find that good chef, that the chef that matters, that's going to give you a chance. Um, and they say, oh, wow, you know, that, that's a great idea. You know, and you say, I just thought, here, I mean, eventually you're going to have that chance where you're going to be able to shine. And I think, um, you know, the more you listen um, and the more you kind of just keep your mouth shut, <laughs> um, in a sense of being a hard worker and, and not always having an opinion, um, those were always my favorite students the ones that just seem to really want to learn from you, but then also weren't afraid to, you know, kind of teach you a little bit here and there as well. Um, it's so hard. I, I, it's like the advice thing is so hard to say because everyone's so, you know, different. But I just say um, get that education, you know, immerse yourself in everything food. Um, and if you love it, eventually you'll succeed. So how about the advice for all those aspiring culinarians out there who think that reality TV is going to be their ticket to success? What would you tell them? It's definitely not the way to go. If you are given the opportunity and someone invites you on to something incredible, I definitely would take it. Um, But you have to understand that being on a show like that is so, I can't even tell you how stressful, how hard. I mean, I still, I feel like I have post-traumatic stress disorder from being on that show. The amount of pressure that a show like that puts on you, um, both during while you're taping, after, and four or five years later, um, it's a lot of pressure. So, um, you know, it can definitely help your career, but you don't see me, um, I was going to say, you don't see me working in New York at, you know, a three-star restaurant. Um, It just depends on what you want to do. I mean, you could probably take it further than maybe I took it, but... um, I mean, it's a great honor to be asked to do something like that, but I definitely don't think that's what you should strive for. Um, I never, I never strived for that. I just cooked, like you said. I put my head down. I was doing what I loved, and someone asked me to do that show. So I think kind of what we we're talking about: if you really love what you do, I mean, you're making a difference, or you're making something great. Uh, someone's going to come up to you, and they're going to give you an opportunity. And I think that's when that's the opportunity you want is. Don't go trying out for shows. Just put your head down, be a great chef, and eventually good things will come. That is awesome. So, Chef, I know that there's going to be people out there listening that say, man, I would love to get a hold of Chef Katie and figure out what she's up to now or reach out to her and ask her a question. If they want to do that, and I'm sure there are people that will, how do they do that? What's the best way to go about that? You know, we still have the Instagram um, tag, the SLC Pop. There's the Facebook, uh, SLC Pop. There's the website, slcpop.com. So, you know, search up the business and my email is on all of those. I'm actually pretty 
I'm pretty good about getting back to people. So you can shoot me a message on Instagram, on Facebook, on the website, really any of those. And um, I always have time for people who have questions or want to come stage. Um, I love hanging out with people that love to learn how to cook. Um, or if you're already cooking and you need a break from, you know, your 60, 80-hour-a-week job to come hang out and make some ramen or some curry, um, I encourage anyone to reach out. Um, I just love to, you know, be able to give back for how lucky I've been. So definitely reach out to me on any of those handles. Chef Katie, ladies and gentlemen, we very much appreciate her and her time. She has been... Uh, an incredible force of good in this business, especially in the Salt Lake City area. She's mentored and trained and, and really helped a lot of people get into the business and also really move their careers forward in the business. So thank you for that, um, Chef, and for your time and your dedication and everything that you give to this business. And with that, we are going to say goodbye. So thank you for joining us again on the Business Chef Podcast, and we will see you next time. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone who's interested in making food and money. And when you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food, Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org. This Business Chef podcast was brought to you by the Culinary Technology Fund. To find out more about how you can make a difference in the lives of culinarians, as well as creating a more sustainable food service industry, email us, info at businesschef.org with Culinary Technology Fund in the subject line.